0: Of um the things that that uh, seem to stand out to me in each of these issues, and uh, then we will pray for uh, persecuted Christians everywhere, especially in this country and uh, I think what I'll do because um, the voice of the martyr tends to um, follow areas where their ministry is concerned. I'll start to look for areas in this country we need to pray for as well. Uh, you know, when you pray for the body of Christ, we all get benefit of it, but there are times we need to focus in on uh, what what God wants us to pray for here uh, in this nation as far as um, beating back the onslaught of the enemy to press Christians down and not allow us the freedoms uh that we need. So it's it's been a, a blessing for us to be able to pray in so many different ways in so many different situations. Uh one of these issues has some updates on some stories that we've we've uh, read in the past. So I want to make sure to bring us updated on those. So we'll we'll enter in with the Lord. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come before your throne of grace. It's all grace with you, Lord. Uh you are so uh, giving and forgiving of every single thing, Lord. And so we honor you. We bless you and we praise you. Open up our eyes and our ears. We want to see as you see, hear as you hear, express what's on your heart to prepare your people, uh, for life in this, uh, world. So we do thank you and we honor you in Jesus name. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Uh, so in the, um, December edition, uh there's a story here about uh the lone evangelist amen uh and uh it's it's always good to know that there are people who do pray for their enemies uh up front and do um love their enemies um, um I, you guys remember the young man um Who, I forget what country he was in, but he was kidnapped and his mother said when she found out about it, he was imprisoned. And when his mother found out, she asked God not to let him out of prison until he had accomplished everything. And he had to laugh about it, you know, because he was beaten daily. And of course his mother didn't know that. Probably a good thing she did it because most mothers wouldn't <laughs> get my baby out of there you know, and and you know, you can hardly blame them and uh but she she blindly trusted God and God did a work in him and in that man who held him captive and so it's it's just good. You know, the devil can feed people a daily diet of hatred. Um but yet God can, in an act of love, turn that around. And so we are never, never, uh, amen, we're never f- uh, fearful about the expressions of hatred. We do have authority over them, but we also have to bring, uh, uh, you know, obey God and bring his love and his goodness into situations, you know, so, so it's good. So this one, it says, growing up in Pakistan, Abdul lived under Islam's strict Sharia law, Within an oppressive shame culture, his uncle, the head of his extended family, was an Islamic leader in the community, and the Quran was a source of ultimate authority over his life. As Abdul grew older, however, he began to worry about where he would spend eternity. He often thought of heaven and discussed the afterlife with his uncle, but his uncle simply reassured him that he would get there. You know you're doing a good job, he told Abdul, you will go to heaven. Instead of providing comfort, his uncle's words offended him. He knew he had not lived a good life, even by his own standards, and surely heaven's standards were higher than his own, he thought. The Islamic view of heaven suddenly felt cheap to Abdul. After further conversations about Islam with family members, Abdul's Disgust with his life grew so intense that he wanted to make, commit suicide. Distraught, he shared his feelings and his dark intentions with a friend. To Abdul's surprise, his Muslim friend challenged him to take a Bible correspondence course that he had been taking. Abdul signed up for the course and soon received his first lessons. <clears throat> Everything made sense to him until he came to Romans 8.1. "'There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus.' That declaration shook Abdul's understanding of God, judgment, and heaven. The concept of grace it presented was so foreign to him that he initially thought it was an error. But the more he studied the scriptures, the better he understood the uniquely Christian teachings about God's mercy and his grace." Finally, in 2005, he reached a conclusion. It was worth it to leave Islam for Jesus. Abdul placed his faith in Christ and was baptized, unaware of the persecution his decision would bring. Three months after becoming a Christian, Abdul decided to share the gospel in his village. He spent two weeks in prayer and preparation before beginning to tell both friends and strangers about Jesus. Then one day he arrived home and saw a group of people gathered outside his house. Inside, his parents, siblings, and other relatives sat waiting for him. While he had been out sharing the gospel, some villagers had reported his evangelistic work to his family. Abdul immediately sensed the tension as he stood in front of his family, and then his uncle, who also lived with his family, pointed a gun at him. He must be kicked out of the house, his uncle said tearfully, otherwise I will kill him. Abdul's uncle lunged toward him, the butt of the gun striking Abdul's shoulder as his brothers tried to pull him away. If you again become a Muslim, we will forgive you, his father promised. But Abdul, overwhelmed with emotion, held to his Christian faith. I am asking you to become a Christian so you can have salvation, he responded. Realizing that Abdul was not going to return to Islam, his family kicked him out of the house. Abdul had nowhere to stay, so after nightfall, when most people were in bed, he returned to his parents' house and climbed up on the roof to sleep. At sunrise the next day, around five, he climbed down and left the house. He followed the same pattern the next day and every day for the next six years. It was easy in the summertime, but very hard during the winter, he said. I always kept a matchbook in my pocket to make a fire to make myself warm. Whenever he found himself suffering from the weather of, uh, weather or loneliness, he said a simple prayer. Thank you God, this is all about you and for you. Throughout the six years that Abdul slept on his parents' roof, he continually shared the gospel with everyone he could. As the only Christian in an area that includes dozens of villages, the harvest was plentiful. When he wasn't selling newspapers to earn money, he was talking with people in neighboring villages and visiting workers out in the field, and every morning he walked two miles with a man who made the daily trip to get milk for his family. They discussed the scriptures every step of the way. Abdul has led ten men to Christ so far, and another thirty have shown an interest in learning more. Not everyone is open to his message, though Abdul receives frequent death threats from Islamic leaders because of his evangelism but Despite the threats, he continues to serve as a sole evangelist in his community, and Voice of the Martyr supports Abdul as a frontline worker. Six years after Abdul began sleeping on the roof of his parents' house, his mother began to hear updates on him from other villagers. Villagers. At one point, after learning that he was sick, she urged her husband to forgive Abdul. Abdul's father relented, allowing him to move into a separate room that he had added to the house. As soon as Abdul moved in, however, his 80-year-old uncle cursed him for leaving Islam. One night, his uncle snuck into his room while he was out of town and burned his Bibles. Then, when Abdul's father died in 2012, his uncle refused to let him attend the funeral. You are a Christian. You don't believe on Allah, so go fr- go out from here, his uncle said. Abdul was not given up. has not given up on his uncle despite the ongoing harassment. While the verbal abuse continues today, Abdul's standard response is a kind smile. I am praying for my uncle that he can receive salvation before he dies, Abdul said. Abdul is planning to marry a Christian girl he met in another part of Pakistan, but his family will not be there to support him. He hopes his wife will partner with him in ministry, reaching out to women whom he is unable to speak with in their strict Islamic culture. Although he continues to receive death threats, he accepts the tension in his life as part of his faith if he if the threats become reality he is okay with that too he now knows for sure he is going to heaven when he dies I know that I have to die he said but before I die I want to share the good news that people don't have to go to hell they can go to heaven amen praise God so that's Abdul in Pakistan and let me see that's the one I want I'll, I'll go through these updates because I think you'll recognize some of these names. Where are they now? Let's see. Mrs. Han in North Korea. So Mrs. Han served for years. Uh, and She was in the March 2017 newsletter. She has served for years in a city on China's border with North Korea. Though ethnically Korean, she and her husband, a pastor, were Chinese citizens. In the 1990s, famine hit North Korea. Famine in North Korea pushed many North Koreans to seek work and help outside their country, and many arrived in the, at the Han's doorstep. They did all they could to help them and in the process led some of them to Christ. Their work did not go unnoticed by the North Korean government. However, in 2016, Pastor Han was kidnapped and killed. Afterwards, Mrs. Han moved to South Korea to get her children away from the place where they lost their father. The church she and her husband led continues to function, but Mrs. Han is now focusing on her role as a mother, helping her children adjust to life without their father and complete their education. Readers can praise God for the way the family has navigated through the earthly loss and found a new closeness voice of the martyr workers say they can pray that the children will grow up as faithful servants of God serving him as their father did Uh, Alex in Columbia the 2008 voice of the um, voice of the martyr video Alex was on his way to work at a banana plantation when armed guerrillas boarded his bus, ordered everyone off and then shot them. Alex was shot in the face, losing an eye, but he survived. He later joined a prison ministry where he ran into Ismail, the very man who had shot him years before. Alex eventually led Ismail to the Lord. In the years since, Alex has continued to serve in the prison ministry. Recently, he decided to go to law school, and he intends to spend his career helping those who are falsely imprisoned. His health is good, but his vision continues to deteriorate. Thankfully, the law school he chose can make accommodations, such as offering verbal exams instead of written ones. As a result of the peace process in Colombia, many former guerrillas, including Ismael, were pardoned and released release from prison ismail needed a place to live so alex asked him to move into his place the former guerrilla and his victim are now roommates amen um samsey in laos that was from the 2017 newsletter. When Psalmsi became a believer years ago, her parents told her they would rather she become a prostitute than a Christian. They eventually kicked her out of the family home. Today, she lives in a new city far from her biological family. She helps lead worship in a house church for the Camus Minority Group each Sunday, and she is also involved in the youth ministry. During the day, she works as a, at a sewing factory Gaining experience so she can open her own small business one day. Her prayer is that she will soon be be experienced enough to support herself through a small business. That her ministry will be done uh, will be done well, and that her relationships will be pleasing to the Lord. All right, this is Esther in China. Esther's father. Um, Yang Zhuan and mother Yang Chisin were imprisoned in 2009 when their 50,000-member house church network drew the ire of the communist government, though her father and mother spent 41 months in 41 months and 14 months respectively in prison, their imprisonment deepened her faith. Today, Esther and her husband minister full-time to Chinese students in the Los Angeles area. After her parents were released from prison, they continued serving the Lord at the Linfin Church in, in Shangxi province. So she's moved to this country, okay. Pastor Bike in China from the 2007 newsletter. In July 1998, Pastor Bike cycled 17,000 kilometers across China, sharing the gospel in 24 provinces. Police often thre- threatened his Beijing house church and Pastor Bike was detained repeatedly. Now based in Qingdong uh, province, uh, Pastor Bike still ministers actively throughout China, continuing to lead and lead an average of two to three people to Christ every day. He and his wife are planning a church for migrants and they baptize hundreds of new believers this past year. Pastor Bike faces ongoing pressure and persecution as well as some health challenges. So we'll be praying for all of these individuals. Sutta in India. This is from the 2015 newsletter. Sutta was nearly beaten to death by Hindu activists in 2014 for sharing the gospel in a Rastan village. He was rescued, however, by one of his persecutors whom he later led to Christ. Sutta continues to minister in his own village as well as the village where he was beaten years ago. A group of believers meets regularly for fellowship in each village he says persecution in the area is increasing and that it has become more difficult to live and work there suda asks us to pray that he will remain bold in his work and that the believers in his care will remain faithful he also asks for us to pray that unreached villages in his area will be reached with the gospel Padina in Iran from the 2011 video. Padina was a dedicated Muslim who sought to grow closer closer to Allah through ritualistic prayer and acts of service. But after hearing a sermon on satellite television, she placed her faith in Christ and became a dedicated evangelist herself, sharing Christ throughout Iran and developing an entire house church network. Today, she serves as a leader for discipleship efforts in Iran. She is passionate about training women leaders and expanding into surrounding Arab countries where she says women are treated much worse than they are in Iran. In the last two years, Padina has helped expand the ministry into Afghanistan and Pakistan where there are now more than 70 small discipleship groups. Pray for Padina's health as she experiences several serious challenges. Um, Okay, so Danjuma in Nigeria from the 2015 newsletter. Danjuma was a young boy when terrorists launched an early morning attack on his Christian village. He was so badly injured by a machete that villagers dug him a grave. To their surprise, Danjuma survived and recovered, though he was left blind and with severe injuries. During his recovery, nurses often remarked of his joyful smile. A year ago, Danjuma enrolled in a school for the blind, and he is now in his second year there. According to the director, he is a fast learner and very intelligent. She also said he still walks around with that joyful smile on his face. Amen. Uh, K- Kabil Matar in Pakistan from the twenty. 20- 2009 newsletter, Kabil was a missionary for nine years in one of Pakistan's most dangerous regions, the Northwest Frontier Province. In 2008, he was kidnapped and tortured by the Taliban who held him upside down in a hole full of excrement. After he escaped, recovered, and learned that Christians were praying for him, he returned to sharing the gospel. Today, Kabil works as a sweeper for his local police department. He earns enough to feed his family. He occasionally joins his pastor to visit Christians in a neighboring village. Uh, Hannah Lee in Afghanistan, you'll remember her. Remember, her son, daughter, and husband were all murdered while she was away. She's by herself. It says uh, from that's 2016. Was that newsletter? Hanalee served with her husband and children for 10 years in Afghanistan until militants attacked their home one day. While she was at work, she lost her entire family in the attack. Hanalee returned to her native South Africa to bury her family and mourn, eventually writing a book about her experience. Today, she is remarried and continues to travel and speak alongside Afghan Christians both inside Afghanistan and around the world. She's back ministering. Amen. Uh, Pauline Ayad in Gaza. Pauline was a young mother with two sons and a baby girl on the way when her husband, Christian bookstore manager uh, Rami Ayad, was murdered in Gaza. Pauline was left to pick up the uh, pieces and raise her three children alone while working to forgive Rami's killer. About a year ago, the murderer was arrested and sentenced to death. When Pauline saw his photo in the newspaper, she was instantly filled with rage. Age. but the Holy Spirit gently reminded her of her forgiveness uh, of the forgiveness for which she had worked and prayed in obedience she shared the newspaper article on her Facebook page with a comment I forgive this man amen all right praise God so we'll I'm going to go back to this one if I have a little more time better mark where I want to read Okay, this one is the next issue. Now what we decided to do for the calendar uh, is Shannon is going to, uh, every month, she'll run off copies of the monthly calendar. So I just found mine was too big to be too functional. I didn't know where to put it. It was on the desk, and on the desk I forget to pray. So this one will be uh, smaller, you know, eight and a half by 11, so you can go ahead and take it with you uh, wherever you want to go. With it, thank you, ma'am. Sure, yeah, gotcha and uh so then that way, we're not all buying calendars, not that there's anything wrong with that, but if you want it, uh but we won't uh do what we did the last time it's, it's, we'll see if this works for everybody. Uh, we don't have the little faces on there, but we we're, we're working on it, so for this month and and next month we'll we'll go with these so okay, so this one is a I think this is a January issue, yeah. Uh, and this one is a lot of these are about Islam uh recently, so uh this one is the same thing so um praise God scripture they're reminding us uh Jesus in john sixteen two said they will put you out of the synagogues, yes, and the time is coming that so whoever kills you will think that he offers God service, yeah. So you see that a lot uh in Islam. They think that they're doing Allah good by killing other people. So Okay. Growing up in a predominantly Muslim Bangladesh, Fedu's life was permeated by Islam. His father was an imam, his grandfather told him stories of pilgrimages to Mecca, Fedu studied at at an Islamic school, and like his father and three brothers, became a Muslim scholar and imam, eventually teaching at a mosque in the Bangladeshi capital of Dhaka. Uh, while working at the mosque one day in 1996, Fedu met a student named Azad from a nearby college. The two struck up a conversation and quickly became friends. However, when Fedu learned two years later that Azad had become a Christian, he began to worry about him. He knew Muslims at his mosque would find out about Azad's conversion And he also knew the local Muslim authorities were some of the worst persecutors of Christians in Bangladesh. Instead of standing up for his friend, Fadu stopped talking to him altogether. Then 15 years later, Fadu received a call from Azad, who had felt God uh, nudging him to reconnect with his old friend. As the two caught up on each other's lives, Azad mentioned how Jesus had changed his life. And when they finally met in person, Azad gave Fedu a Bible and some Christian literature to read. They spoke two more times before again losing touch with one another. Fedu at first dismissed the gifts his friend had given him, but eventually he started reading it, comparing its teachings with those of the Quran. The more he studied the two books, the more he began to doubt Islam, which had been his religious foundation since childhood. Fedu knew that the Quran taught that God would send his word. Uh, but in the Bible, he read in John 1.1 1, 1, that God had sent his word in the person of Jesus. Then he read Jesus' words in John 14.16, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He could no longer defend the Koran against the Bible, and he wanted to know the Jesus he had read about in its pages. When he placed his faith in Christ in 2011, he wished he could share the news with his friend Azad. After becoming a follower of Christ, Fedu continued teaching at his mosque. It supplemented the income he made from a pharmacy he owned, and he also wanted to share the truth he had learned with his captive audience at the mosque who needed to hear the gospel. The more Fedu studied God's word, the more it was reflected in his teachings at the mosque. When it came to God's prophets, he taught that Jesus was above all and that he alone is holy. Members of the of the mosque became increasingly aware of his Christian views, and one day in 2017, someone found Christian literature at his home. The president of the mosque quickly addressed the issue. When they noticed I love Jesus and not Muhammad, they said, my job is done, Fedu recalled. Fedu had been praying for guidance on how and when to leave the mosque, so he viewed their decision as an answer to prayer. Soon afterward, he received an unexpected call from Azad, who had again felt God nudging him to reach out. Fedu couldn't contain his excitement as he shared the news of his Christian faith. Overjoyed, Azad discussed what it means to be a follower of Jesus with Fedu and his wife, who had not yet accepted Christ. They had long talks about the Holy Spirit, baptism, the likelihood of persecution, and Azad answered their many questions about Christianity. Eventually, Fadu's wife also placed her faith in Jesus, and she and Fadu were baptized. As their Christian faith became known, they began to face violent opposition from their neighbors. A group of angry Muslims destroyed Fadu's pharmacy, robbing him of his last source of income. Two of his brothers beat him for leaving Islam, and they and some Muslim neighbors then banned his family from the area. Fadu was angry at first, but he has learned to forgive. "'I forgive my brothers,' he said. "'I have no anger in my heart.'" Fadu even shared the gospel with his brothers, but they no longer talked to him. Since December 2017, Fedu has been living in a Voice of the Martyr supported training center where his faith has continued to grow through discipleship studies and fellowship with other believers. His wife and three children are staying with his wife's relatives so the children can remain in school. Although her relatives are Muslim, they are more secular in their beliefs and do not oppose her Christian faith. Voice of the Martyr is supporting uh, Fadu's family with food, clothing, and other expenses as he works to restart his pharmacy business in a new location. Fadu asks us to pray that his family members and neighbors will come to know Christ. He also asks us to pray for him as he prepares to share Jesus Christ with many imams he knows. He has already led one imam to Christ and given him a Bible. Finally, Fedu asks us to pray that his family will be able to live together under one roof again. Meanwhile, he will continue sharing his faith with Muslims, using the uh, same method that brought him to Jesus, friendship, and a new book. I am going out and sharing my faith, he said. When I talk to people, I show them what the Bible and Quran say about Jesus. Amen so that 's Fadu. amen. Very encouraging uh these reports are because sometimes we think of certain groups of people is so hard to you know Americans sometimes just uh, get involved on the <laughs> on the drama side of everything you know and instead of praying through situations and realizing that there is a way to reach everybody. Uh, with the gospel, we're, we're told to go in the all the world and preach the gospel to everybody. So there must be a way to reach everybody. Nobody's so hard that they can't be reached for Christ. Amen. Amen. This is about Adam. Adam's light skin and Arabic features immediately gave him away as a Somali in his adopted country of Uganda. When his students at the missionary training school meet him, the first words they that come to mind are terrorist and spy. But Adam relishes the opportunity to upend their stereotypes by sharing how he became a new creation in Christ after several decades as a practicing Muslim. At the age of 17, after his father had been killed by the Somali Islamic group Al-Shabaab, Adam joined the nearly 2 million other Somalis who have fled the violence in their homeland to live elsewhere. He moved to Uganda, where he and relatives among the 40,000 Somali refugees already living there. Reflecting on his experience, he realizes Somalis are not suffering at the hands of the people we hate, but we're suffering at the hands of the people we love. In the Islamic faith... If the Islamic faith had motivated Al-Shabaab to kill his father, Adam didn't want anything to do with it. He began searching for something else, and he didn't keep his thoughts to himself. He sought out Somali Christians online and even watched the Jesus film with a group of friends. While most of his friends dismissed the movie and walked out, Adam watched it through to the end. But when his cousin, who was supporting Adam financially, heard about his interests in Christianity, he enrolled him in a special boarding school for Muslims who were wavering in their faith. Only after arriving at the school did Adam realize it was it was designed to re-educate him on the greatness of Islam. Adam was treated harshly at the school. Every morning at 5 a.m., he was awakened um, with a splash of cold water in the face. <laughs> That's really a pr- way to, to convert somebody. <laughs> and he also yelled, was yelled at and beaten. Adam refused to stay at the school and at first his cousin seemed to agree. That he should leave. During the next school break, however, his cousin took him on a trip to the Kenyan coast. And upon arrival, Adam was told that they would be boarding a boat for Somalia. Adam then realized he was to be left in Somalia and forced to regain his Muslim faith. Adam again fled to Uganda, and this time he was on his own. He got a job and saved enough to afford tuition at a Christian high school, but the Christian education could not overcome his lifetime cultural and religious commitment to Islam. After graduating from high school, Adam moved on with his life Uh, with no real religious conviction. He soon married a Somali woman who was in the process of immigrating to Canada and they learned before she left that she was pregnant with their child. They planned for Adam to immigrate as her spouse once she and their child were established in Canada. Adam had been in Uganda for 10 years and his spiritual yearnings had faded among his daily demands of life. But then around 2014, he reunited with a Christian, friend from high school. I have a book for you to read, the friend said, pulling out a Bible. This is not a book, Adam replied irritably. It's a Bible. But he agreed to take the Bible and with the peak, and with peak curiosity, he began reading it. He soon found himself again looking for Somali Christians to speak with online. And he again watched the Jesus film. At age 28, he placed his faith in Jesus Christ and there was no turning back. Unafraid of showing his Christian faith, Adam stopped going to the mosque, and the Somali community took notice. He was denounced from the mosque pulpit, and Somali leaders offered a reward to anybody who would kill him. One evening when he returned home, his neighbors told him that his cousin and a group of men had come looking for him, intending to kill him. Although he knew his life was in danger, he was more concerned about what his Muslim wife would say about his new Christian faith. He avoided her calls as long as he could before finally facing her inevitable question. Was it true that he had become a Christian? When he confirmed the rumor, she promptly told him their marriage was over. I am no longer your wife, she said, and you will never speak to your son again. He was heartbroken by his wife's reaction, but the truth of of Christ was firmly planted in his heart. He knew that Jesus was the only way and he was willing to give up everything to follow him. His wife's rejection was the beginning of the toughest period of his life. The Somali community rejected him because he was a Christian. Christians mistrusted him because he was Somali and he was disillusioned to learn that Christians from his church were visiting bars after church. He soon began questioning whether his faith in Jesus was worth it. I was stressed and confused, you recall, but at that point, he was introduced to Pastor Norman, a Voice of the Martyr-supported frontline worker who ministers in the border regions of Uganda that are increasingly influenced by Islam. After mentoring Adam for about three months, Norman helped him apply to a missionary training program. At first, the program's leaders had had security concerns about admitting a new Somali believer suspecting that he could be a spy. But on Norman's recommendation, they reluctantly allowed Adam to join them. Several months of missions training, followed by three more months of active missions work, were revolutionary for Adam. He had found his calling. After completing the program, he joined the teaching staff, training young people for work in the missions field. Each new term, he receives a new group of young students from all over the world. And while many are shocked to see that their teacher is Somali, they soon learn that he loves Jesus and actively reaches out to Somali. At least online and in person with the gospel. About a year ago, Adam's wife called him and even let him talk to the son to his son on the phone. Although they have stayed in touch since then, she maintains that she will accept him back as her husband only if he returns to Islam. Adam still loves her, but he will not turn his back on Jesus. Pray that one day we shall unite again, but as Christians, he said. Adam receives frequent death threats, and as far as he knows, his cousin still wants to kill him. Meanwhile, he continues to serve where God has led him. God, is my life, he said, and if he wants me to live, I will live. He may look like a terrorist to others in the region, but Adam has found his true identity and purpose through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God. Yeah. Amen. Praise God. Glory to God. Praise God. This one is called a miraculous intervention. Praise God. You know what? Um uh Chanel, would you mind there's a, a stool in the kitchen in there. You mind grabbing it for me? I'm gonna sit I got two pairs of socks so <laughs> it's like nom, 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 nom. It's very tight. I don't want to stand up here and take shoes and clothes off and everything else. So I just, I think I'll sit a little bit and, uh, okay. So this one is called a miraculous intervention. If you come to Islam, you will become super rich. Thank you. I appreciate it. This a little scared me a little bit because I've never heard this approach, but I'm sure they, but you know what it sounded like some of the Christian you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's a little scary sometimes when you, when you know the truth, you know, sometimes it's a fine line. You gotta thread the eye of a needle to get the, uh, get the spirit right behind certain things. Andrew and a group of young men from nearby villages listened intently to the sheik's words. You will also be worshiping the real God, he told them. Although Andrew had been raised as a Christian in his Tanzanian village, he was not well grounded in his faith, so he didn't need to think long about the sheik's promises before deciding to follow Islam. Andrew was so drawn to the teachings and promises of Islam that even the two hour walk to the mosque failed to deter him. He was also very attracted by the radical words of the charismatic sheik. He told us how he killed people, Andrew said. And if we are going to stand up for Islam, we need to be ready to give our lives and kill the enemy. The sheik who was preparing Andrew and the other young men for service with the Somalian Islamist group Al-Shabaab also taught them how to use machetes and guns. Waging jihad against those perceived to be enemies of Islam, Al-Shabaab makes no secret of its goal to eradicate Christianity from Somalia and has been exporting its terror to nearby countries as well making a concerted effort to Islamize Tanzania. Young, impressionable men like Andrew are easy targets for recruitment. The Sheik was persuasive, and Andrew's heart was hardened by his radical teaching. If you do this, you will go to heaven. If you die for this cause, Allah will richly bless you. If you blow yourself up, shoot someone, cut someone's head off, it is for the good. Andrew didn't want his parents to know he had become a Muslim, so he never told them of his secret visits to the mosque. When they asked where he was going, he lied to them. But his parents were noticing more more, uh, than his frequent absences. He had become increasingly disrespectful toward them, and he wouldn't eat certain foods that weren't Islamic. His mother became concerned and asked him about the changes. Angered by his parents' interference, Andrew set their house on fire one night. When his brother returned home from the market and asked Andrew what had happened, he denied anyth- knowing anything about it. I don't know, he told him. Eventually, Andrew's visits to the mosque became known to his parents and, left with few options, they sent him away. If you are with them, go your way, his father told him. But nowhere else to go, with nowhere else to go, Andrew tried sleeping at the mosque, but Muslims there urged him to return home and pretend that he was sorry. Andrew followed their advice and was accepted back into the family after telling his father that he was done with the mosque. But it was just another lie. It was just to appease my father, he said. He continued to live a lie, eventually burning his family home down a second time. Burned his own house down twice to distract his parents from learning his whereabouts. When his family asked him how it happened, he lied again. The sheik uh, had plans for Andrew, and one day he coldly told him that he should kill his parents. They are infidels and have absolutely nothing They can help you with in your life, the sheik told him. Andrew returned home the next day fully intending to kill his parents, but he couldn't bring himself to do it. He then made the long walk back to the mosque and told the sheik that he couldn't follow through with his orders. The sheik was not pleased. You cannot leave with us to join al shabab unless you kill your parents, he said. After being pressured a second time to murder his parents, Andrew began to have second thoughts about the instructions he had been receiving at the mosque. Why is it, since I joined this group, all they talk about is killing people? he wondered. In that moment of doubt, Andrew said he was filled with grace, especially toward his parents. I really felt sorry for what I had done, and I wanted to come back to faith in Jesus Christ, he said. At that point, I repented. Amen. When Andrew returned to his parents and confessed his plot to kill them in order to join al-Shabaab, they tearfully told him that he could come home. But they said they needed to see evidence of a changed life. They also feared the Muslims at the mosque might kill the family. Just days later, Andrew learned the Muslims were searching for him. Wanting to protect his family, he told his father that he had to leave. In many parts of Tanzania, those who leave Islam and place their faith in Christ face persecution almost daily. And Voice of the Martyrs workers say a large attack on Christians by extremist groups is extremely likely. One of Andrew's sisters, knowing he was in danger, took him to a pastor's home to hide for a week. They are ready to kill you, Andrew's father told him in a phone call. It is likely they have already dug a grave for you. Andrew needed to move to a safer location the pastor remembered meeting a voice of the martyr worker named David so he called him to see if he could help Andrew David took Andrew to a training center in a different town where he was able to attend church and receive Christian teaching. I was filled with questions, Andrew said, as I hadn't been to church in a long time. Staying at the training center was a time of tremendous spiritual growth for Andrew. Looking back, it was such a move of the Holy Spirit to take me from the point of being ready to kill my parents to realizing I was wrong and then repenting. It is a complete miracle. How do I explain being in one mindset and then all of a sudden something intervenes? I can't count it less than a miracle. I have never felt so much peace. Andrew now has a deep sense of calling to reach young men who are being enticed by Islam as he once was. I now feel it is my responsibility to help other people experience the same sort of grace that I was given. Many of these kids feel like they have no way to escape, so I want to show them the other way, the gospel, and help bring them out of this. We are wasting our time if we don't learn how to preach the gospel. The teachings I get here at the training center have helped me stay firm in my faith, which wasn't so firm before. It has helped me understand what hurts the heart of God and how to live an upright life. So, Amen. Praise God. So that's Andrew. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Okay, here's some updates from different countries, so I'll go through these uh, in China. The situation for Chinese Christians continues to deteriorate as the government forces churches to conform to Chinese Communist Party ideals. Churches in the municipalities of Beijing and Shanghai and in the province of Sichuan Guangdong and Henan have faced increasing pressure from a variety of sources. Church meetings have been randomly interrupted and some normal Christian practices banned. In the past two years, at least 250 churches have been closed or demolished across the country. According to a Voice of the Martyr field worker, if Chinese authorities continue closing churches at this pace, there could be no church buildings left in China by 2020. Circumstances are especially bad in Henan province where authorities have removed or burned the crosses on at least 4,000 churches, confiscated or destroyed property, and fined or arrested some church leaders. Most of the closed churches were unregistered house churches, which have flourished in China over the last 10 years, but some of the government-controlled, three-self-patriotic movement churches have been closed. Voice of the Martyr sources report that 90 of 140 of such churches in one region of Hina province have been closed in the last eight months. Reaction from Chinese Christians has been mixed. Some Christians have quietly decided to stay home while others are refusing to acquiesce to the government's demands. <clears throat> According to a voice of the martyr field worker, church leaders are concerned about the effect of the persecution on the younger generation. Since they did not experience the dramatic persecution of the Cultural Revolution, church leaders are concerned that their faith will not withstand the pressure. Voice of the Martyr is monitoring the situation and providing assistance as needed. According to a Voice of the Martyr worker, 344 Chinese Christian leaders have signed a joint declaration calling on the government to stop persecuting Christians. The leaders publicly signed their names to the document proclaiming their willingness to pay any price for their Christian faith. In Malawi, a move of God among the Yao people. Voice of Martyr workers joyfully report a recent work of God among the Yao people in Malawi, Mozambique, and Tanzania. Once considered an unreachable people group, today there are more than 4,000 believers among the predominantly Muslim Yao people. It's amazing to see how it has occurred not only in one family, village, or community, but in an entire tribal group. Until about five years ago, there were only three dedicated believers working among the Yao, But Yao Christians then began choosing to stay in their communities while being persecuted instead of fleeing their presence and the forgiveness and love. They demonstrated led many to open their hearts to the gospel. Now entire villages are following Christ. Some of the old mosques are being used as churches. So you see in one country where they're tearing churches down and, and, uh, closing them down in another they're taking over mosques and converting them uh, to christian churches so that's a blessing praise god uh, uh indonesia in september 20 on september 27th, police in west kanali jambi province on the island of sumatra sealed the buildings of the indonesian christian uh Hirea, Indonesian Methodist Church and God's Assemblies Church, citing permit violations. Churches throughout Indonesia apply for building permits regularly, and they are always denied by local government authorities. The three churches that were closed on September 27th have operated without permits and without incident for years, but a radical Muslim group called the Islamic Defenders Front has intimidated local government officials to close many churches like these. This is particularly true as national elections approach. No Muslim politician wants to be perceived as pro-Christian." Over the past decade, Indonesian authorities have closed more than a 1,000 church buildings. The Taman Yasmin Indonesian Christian Church in Bangor, Indonesia was closed in 2008, but the church fought back petitioning the courts. The case went all the way to the Supreme Court, which ruled in favor of the church, but Bangor's may- mayor continued to refuse the church the right to meet in the building. The congregation met in front of the church for several years, but the constitution and protests and threats of extremist muslims eventually forced them to relocate today the church building remains vacant and in disrepair uh, in nigeria <clears throat> The central city of Jos remains on edge after suffering recurring attacks and ongoing riots. The latest attacks began on September 27th, 2018, when a Christian vigilante group tried to prevent a group of militant Muslim Fulani tribemen from entering the Jos neighborhood. Nigerian military personnel persuaded the vigilantes to let the Fulani militants go, and a few later, few minutes later, they opened fire, killing 20 people. Among those killed were nine members of a single family whom the Fulani freak apparently targeted because of their previous conflict. One family member survived by hiding under a bed. The Christian community was angered by the murders as well as by the military's poor judgment in allowing the Fulani militants to enter the neighborhood. Unrest swept through the city as young men burned cars and police and a police station and soldiers responded by firing toward the rioters. Meanwhile, young Muslim men began rioting in the central market. Although authorities set an overnight curfew, militants continued to attack and kill people in their homes a few days later seven students were killed and others injured in an attack at the university of jos by fulani militants affiliated with boko haram the terrorist group issued a warning identifying the locations of their future attacks the list comprised comprises the whole Entire city of Jos, a voice of the martyr worker said. Voice of the martyr staff in the area visited the injured in hospitals to assess needs and offer assistance. They are still, there are still a lot of random killings going on in Jos and surrounding villages, a worker said. We are praying and hoping for an intervention. So, trouble, turmoil, everything, you know, God is allowing uh, his glory to be seen, amen, where people really want to see the glory of God, it's available for them to see. So uh, we're going to pray and uh, get started, amen. <clears throat> That's good, right there. I have some prayer requests that uh, Shannon just brought up off the internet. And let me see what else here. Praise God, hold on. So, just keep in your heart the ones that we've shared already through the magazines and the requests that people have for uh, open doors. Especially, uh, if the gospel's not free to be shared, it's not really doing anybody any good. So, uh, what we want to do is make sure we pray always for open doors and more boldness, because that's what the apostles prayed for. Uh, people want to be protected but not hidden Uh, they want to uh, be wise but bold as well wise as serpents and harmless as doves and uh, there may be places where people are are told to step up and speak out uh, politically, et cetera, et cetera. And we want to make sure that God opens the doors for those things. So we're going to pray. Pray in the Holy Ghost as usual. Pray in the understanding. Father in heaven, we thank you. We bless you and we praise you. We ask you to forgive our sins, Lord. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you, Father, that we know that as we step into your righteousness, we'll pray the right prayer say the right thing, have the holy faith in our hearts to see these things come to pass. We thank you, Lord, for protection against persecution. We submit to God, resist the devil, and he must flee. We command the enemy to flee from us seven ways. Vengeance belongs to you, O God, and we resist retaliation from our accusers. We are serving you, so why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? You who sit in the heavens are laughing. Behold, the threatening, stretch forth your hand to heal, O God. Do signs and wonders in the name of Jesus." We declare that the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let them fall by their own counsels. Lord, we shall; you shall judge the people. Judge us, O Lord, according to our integrity that is in us. Let the mischief of those who persecute us return upon his own head. Keep us as the apple of the eye. Hide us under the shadow of thy wings. Thank you for teaching our hands to war, so that the bow of steel is broken in our arms." Thank you that you have given us and all of your persecuted believers the necks of our enemies. Shut the mouths of the lions that roar their lies against us. Cause the tongue of the wicked persecutors to cleave to the roof of their mouth. Stop the pointing of the finger against your servant. Stop those who point the finger against us without a cause and who hate us. It is time for you to work, O Lord, for they have made void your law. Lord, we know it's nothing for you to help. Help us, O Lord our God. It save us according to your mercy. Let us, our hands, prosper and prevail against our enemies. But the Lord is with us as a mighty terrible one and therefore our persecutors shall stumble. They shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. Father we know that those who live godly before you will suffer persecution but Father you prevail in all things. Lord we ask you to spare the lives of those people who are being threatened with death. We ask you to let them live so that they can preach your gospel. Father, let them be wise in all of their dealings. Father, when it's wise to flee, let them flee. But when there's a opportunity to stand and declare your word, let them stand and declare your word, Father. We thank you, Father, that uh, <coughs> all religious spirits will fail in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you that we are, are not afraid of man, but we fear God and God alone. We thank you, Father, that we will not fear you as an angry God, but we will worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you, Lord, that those who serve you continually will be spared from death just like Daniel was. We thank you, Father, that all of the things that uh, you have declared in your word are yea and amen for us as we need it to make our way prosperous and have good success We thank you for prosperity in our nation. We thank you for prosperity of our Constitution and our laws. We say our Constitution will no longer be ignored or overturned. We thank you, Lord, that people will revive themselves in the laws of the land and will will obey the laws of the land in Jesus' name. We pray especially for expelled families in these different areas to continue to share their faith in Laos. We thank you, Lord, that they, the three families who were kicked out uh, for becoming Christians will continue to share the love of God. Thank you, Lord, in Minamar that young Christians um, will be, uh, uh, be uh, allowed free, that there are people who are being held in exchange for other believers. And we thank you, Father, that they will... Um, Be set free in Jesus' name. In Tanzania, uh, we pray for a cease of the uh, Maasai warriors attacking Christians in the name of Jesus. We thank you also in Lebanon that believers there will continue to teach the Bible to Syrian refugees and their children and we thank you for freedom to do that in Jesus name. In China we thank you Lord that uh, the pastor has removed the locks from the doors on the Christian church in Jesus name so people can come in and worship God freely. Uh, in Uganda Father that this young boy uh, is sharing Christ despite repeated beatings and we thank you Lord these beatings will stop in the name of Jesus that they will not uh, talk him out of sharing Christ. In Iran, we thank you, Lord, for um, the two Christians who are arrested for their phone calls will be released. We thank you, Lord. In Laos, uh, Christians uh, that are given a deadline to leave the village, if it's your will, Father, keep them there and keep them in peace and safety in Jesus' name. In Uzbekistan, that uh, the... Uh, uh, people will quit persecuting uh, these churches and receive, uh, give back the literature that they have co- confiscated, that the government has confiscated there in Pakistan, uh, that this uh, one, uh, this grieving widow uh, will be restored, Father, in her faith, and we thank you, Father, that um, they will be able to go on with the gospel in Jesus' name. In Cuba, Father, we thank you um, that these church members are continue will be able to hold on to their building so it will not be demolished. We thank you, Lord. In China, these 100 church members who are arrested will be set free. Uh, thank you, Lord. For in Lebanon, uh, this. Christian mother of three children who was abandoned by uh, her husband will be able to have an occupation and live, and her children will be cared for in Jesus' name. In Tanzania, thank you, Lord, this pastor is released after being falsely accused. In Laos, Lord, the villagers accept Christ after witnessing the love of local Christians. Let it increase. In Nepal, uh, thank you, Lord, that the Hindu persecution will cease, and this church that was disbanded will reorganize. In Myanmar, that um, these Buddhists uh, will again continue to provide selling food to the Christians who need it, in Jesus' name. Or, Lord, you can find another source for them uh, to receive the food that they need. Uh, Father, we thank you that in Tajikistan, a Christian prisoner, uh, is, is doing okay, Father, that he has been heard from, and Laos, uh, that this young woman who has come to Christ will learn uh, as much as you want to teach her about her new faith. In Sri Lanka, Father, uh, that these uh, worship services that were canceled will be restarted uh, because of threats. The threats will cease in Jesus' name. In Uganda, this widow of an imar, a imam who has put her fl- faith in Christ will continue to grow. In Colombia, uh, the children in the z- drug zones will receive ministry Father and they will be born again and we thank you Lord we thank you Lord thank you Jesus in Niger uh, the five churches uh, will continue to grow that have been planted in, in just uh, five ch- churches in two years let them increase Lord in Jesus name in Algeria where a church has been closed Father we thank you that these people will find a new place to worship in Jesus name in Laos where the local authorities have threatened two Christians Father we thank you to give them the power to overcome these threatenings. Give them more boldness in Jesus' name. Father, uh, where this uh, Christian woman and her children have been kicked out of their home in Uganda, Father, we thank you that they will find a new home in Jesus' name. And in Sri Lanka, uh, where this mob has uh, threatened his pastor and surrounded the church, I thank you, Lord, that put the fear of God in these people who threaten your people, Lord. Let them see you. Let them feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the fear of God. Father, we ask you also to soften their hardened hearts. Let people come forth who will really witness to them so that they can know exactly what the gospel is and make a decision for you. Father, I thank you that some of the worst persecutors will finally bend the knee to Jesus Christ on this side of glory, and they will receive the Lord as their uh, Savior, Jesus as their Savior and Lord. So we thank you, Father, for all that you are doing, worldwide why, Thank you, Lord, for uh, the persecution in this country, not to extend to our laws any further. We command you, Spirit, of persecution. You will not attack our government. You will not attack our laws. You will not turn this country against the Christians who helped build this nation. Father, we have an invested interest in this nation, because we are one nation under God. And you are the one who called this nation into being, and you will protect us. So we thank you, Lord, that as obedient people that we are entitled to your protection and your help, and we ask you to help us even more, Father. Open doors for us to share Christ with even more people. Uh, cause us to be bold in our witness and powerful in our witnessing. Do signs and wonders in the name of your Son, Jesus that everybody here would not think of themselves so much but think of the one that they are looking at and what their need is and that reach out and meet that need in Jesus' name. So, Lord, we thank you for turning things around in this nation. We thank you, Lord, for helping our president to fend off all of this animosity and this hatred especially the hatred that's coming toward your people and toward what you have called him to do to keep this nation safe, to get us in a place where we are a normal country again, that we are not having so much... Um, correction of our words and intimidation uh, for us expressing ourselves that we do have freedom of speech and we will exercise that freedom and especially freedom to preach the gospel so we thank you lord for a return of all of our freedoms to us tenfold in jesus name put this country on fire for you lord in jesus name amen and praise god amen amen and amen again praise god thank you lord praise god amen so uh why don't you put some music on and if you need prayer come on up and i'll pray for you and uh we can pack up as quickly as we unpacked and hit that old amen amen praise god Holy is the Lord, oh, holy, holy, holy. Oh,